Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the Webby-nominated podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much to my sponsor, Libro FM. Libro FM Audiobooks lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 125,000 audiobooks, including many New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro FM, you get the same audiobooks at the same price as other audiobook companies, but you're going to be part of a much different story, one that supports the community. You can even choose which local bookstore you'd like to support, which is so cool. Listeners of my podcast can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. Just go to Libro.fm, L-I-B-O. R-O.fm and enter code Zibby, Z-I-B-B-Y. With every time you listen to an audiobook, now you can be proud that you're supporting a local bookstore. And the best part is that I have my own playlist on Libro FM, which is so cool. So the books that have been on my podcast and that I'm recommending are now in my own playlist. If you go to Libro FM slash playlists, you can find it, which is so great. I'm so excited to be here today with Liz Astroff, who's the author of the hilarious book, Don't Wait Up, Confessions of a stay-at-work mom. An award-winning executive producer and successful sitcom writer, Liz has worked on shows like Two Broke Girls, The King of Queens, Raising Hope, and many others. She calls herself a writer, producer, and mother-ish. She currently lives in California with her husband and two children. So welcome, Liz. Hi. Is this on? (laughs) It's on. It's on. (laughs) Hi. Thank you. Thanks for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. So start, please, by telling listeners what Don't Wait Up is about and what made you write it. What Don't Wait Up is about, it's a collection of humor essays. It's about the fact that I am terrified of being a mother because I inherited the maternal instincts of a hot dog from my (laughs) own mother, from my biological mother. And I am always shocked when I show up for them and when I'm not her, still to this day. I'm not, and so I kind of stay at work a lot and try not to come home, but I do eventually. (laughs) So that's what, so, but I had all these stories I wanted to tell from my childhood and I wrote all these essays and I took a class at UCLA after I was on Whitney and I was like, I want to write something that's my own and not TV and that I have control over. And I took this class and I started writing and all the essays started having the same theme no matter what they were about. They were all about being a mother and not really having a mother. And so that was the arc that I kind of found. And how long did it take for you to do all of that? Like, how long was that whole process? It took years because it took years to get the proposal together. The proposal was what took so long. So I spent two years trying to write a proposal, and then my agent read the proposal that took two years to write and then said, thanks for taking your first crack at a proposal. So then I was in a ball on the floor of a bowling alley and saying, I can't, I'm just, I can't do it. I can't do it. And then I met someone who could like, who knew how to do like an overview and help me. And we never met in person, but over the cloud, we worked and she helped me. And then from the time I wrote the proposal until the time I sold the book was only six months. And then I wrote the rest of the book in like three months. Crazy. It was like a crazy, and it was, it was fast. It was really fast. So but getting to it, it has been like a 10-year process or nine-year process. Wow. It seems like the stories just must have flown out of you. I mean, because the way you write is like the way you talk, right? Stream of it's, conscious. Yeah, just, just 
stream of consciousness? Consciousness. Consciousness. I'll never get it right. So do you just like sit down and they all come out or do you do any sort of outlining or any? I struggle with the ones that don't, the ones that do just come out. I think the reason why this kind of writing is easier for me is because in personal essays, you can just go off on tangents. So that's why it's easier for me. And there have been some that have just come out and then I immediately second guess them. And throw them out. <laughs> but there's a story in there about my daughter at a trampoline place and trying to jump, like jump high onto something. And like I was there with her and I wanted to tell her that we're not the kind of people who jump high because we are potatoes and I've never been able to jump high. So you're not going to be able to. And then I became determined to help her do what I couldn't do. And that night I just sat in my son's chair and just wrote the whole thing. And then I was like, well, this is garbage. And it wound up being the epilogue. So Aww. yeah, those, the easiest ones, the ones I struggled the least with wind up being the better ones. The ones I spend weeks, like also I try and, I try and structure them like a TV, like a script. Like each one is like an episode sort of. So I try. That's awesome. There's nothing so pours out of me except maybe like coffee. <laughs> Black coffee. <laughs> so in the beginning of the book, you discuss how there's this whole stigma to being a stay-at-work mom, as you yes. call it, and that you felt sort of discriminated against sort of by For the sure. stay-at-home moms. Yes. And you have this one scene where you're at a sporting event, I think a soccer game with your kids, and somebody comes over and actually had asked you if your husband was working on the show or you were wearing, you were wearing like a two-broke girl's hat. I was wearing hat. a two-broke girl's jacket with a thing on it, and the woman turned to me, and she's holding nine or ten kids. <laughs> and she's like, oh, my God, does your husband work on that show? We love that show. And then I just said, no, that would be great because then we'd work together. What is wrong with you? What? You know, and then I said I work there. And then I felt, though, my disdain for people like that is really my own guilt. Because then I followed her to the bathroom to explain why I have to work. And I made it like, I wish I could be home. I really do. I can't. I just can't. How lucky you are. But meanwhile, she didn't look that lucky and she didn't look that happy. So, I mean, the mother is always greener. But I always feel guilty that I like working. And you said you were making fun of her by saying, like, you don't, what she must, the smugness. You said yes. you don't even recognize yourself under mm-hmm. those maternity sweatpants. You fantasize about getting in your minivan, running away from it all, getting involved in a Bridges of Madison County type <laughs> romance, and never coming home again. There is no way any adult enjoys spending time with a toddler, even if it's brilliant, hilarious. And frankly, if you really do enjoy them that much, there is something wrong with you. <laughs> I do think that's true. When people say, like, I remember Angelina Jolie said Zahara was, like, the funniest person she ever met, and she was two. I was like, I don't know. I doubt that. <laughs> Like, how is she the funniest person you've ever met? I, I, I think that's strange. But then, as you said about the guilt, you said you feel guilt at the unrivaled joy I get leaving my house in the morning. Unrivaled. <laughs> so t- talk to me about the joy you feel at leaving and then the guilt that comes with it. If I could fly away, well, right now, so right now I'm working from home, kind of. I'm like between stuff. And my kids get off of school, so I like hang out at home a lot. And I drop them off at camp. And then around like three, when I know they're getting off, like a mother senses these things, like where their kids are going to be, I leave my house as if it's on fire. (laughs) I grab all my things. It's like 3.12 every afternoon, you would think my house was on fire. And it's like born identity style, like driving off and like just getting out of there. I just can't. But anyway, but the morning stuff, when they were little, little, and my nanny would come and I would leave, I just felt like they were in great hands, better hands than with me, cans that were going to play with them and not hide in the bathroom. 
And I felt like they were in good hands, and then I was, I was going to be with grown-ups, and I would be laughing at work, and then I would come home right before they went to bed, usually with presents, which is the worst thing you could do. And if they, my guilt, so I'd come home with presents, and then if they didn't like them, I would go to my car and get other presents. And then if they didn't like them, I'd get other presents. I just always have <laughs> presents in my car. And then I would rile them up again, and my husband would get so upset because then they would be up. They don't sleep. They're, they're not sleep trained. They're like dogs <laughs> that aren't potty. They're not, they're not even potty trained. They're not sleep trained at all. My son, that was the thing about the book I was going to tell you, but my son is, my son sleeps in my bed a lot, and he's 12, and he's giant. So, like, I, I, he just, like, the bed goes down. He puts his glasses on the nightstand, gets into bed. So we're like That's a couple. Awesome. I yeah. love that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like your guilt leads you to do so many funny things in this book. I'm trying and to make up for it. Like when the chapter about the turtles, which was oh. so funny. I literally read it out loud to my 12-year-old son <laughs> as like on his oh, yeah. bed while like Aww. he's like going to bed. And we were like crying laughing, oh, the two of us. And then, of course, my daughter's like, wait, why didn't you read the whole chapter to me? But anyway, um, it, it was yeah. just the funniest. But in that, your nanny takes the kids to Chinatown, which you like really didn't want to do. Which I there's parking, and I don't know where things are. I, yeah. I'm annoyed immediately. And, and then I feel bad. And so you let the nanny, like, bring home these two turtles, which then you realize are going to live, like, 40 to 70 years. That was <laughs> a giant F you, I felt like, on her part. I felt like she knew. I mean, they were tiny, and my husband was supposed to say no, and he missed the text, and I must have missed a text somewhere because I always say yes to everything so that I'm the good guy, and then he has to step in and be the bad guy. And he didn't. So we wound up with these turtles that were going to be like 90 pounds or something and live outlive all of us. So like we'd be taking these turtles. We'd have to like find a house that suited the turtles and like where could we put the turtles. And the turtles like hate each other and they get like, it was just, it was horrible, horrible. And then at the end after like you describe in great hilarious detail like buying the tank and then oh the God, credenza the that the tank has to sit on and like this whole thing. It was so funny. And then you're like in the whole chapter you've wanted to get to this yoga class and then yes. you're like, oh, I think now I could get to yoga. But that would be so selfish. And you're like, obviously I went. I went. It's better for everyone. <laughs> oh my this gosh, is always me. Should I not go to yoga? Do what you want to do. Should I not go to yoga? Whatever you want. So I won't go to yoga. Okay. I have to go to yoga. I have to. I'm going to be a monster if I don't go. It's in our marriage license that I get to go. I think it's in there, that it's in the book. So so a lot of the stuff that comes up about your own parenting comes from your relationship with your own mom, which yes. you also describe in great detail. And that part was actually sad. I mean, you make it funny, but it wasn't. This yeah. book is not only just comedy. It come, you show us where it came from, which right. I also thought was like really awesome. And um, you have such a difficult relationship with your mom that it, during that funny scene at Tim Allen's you know, ranch or wherever you were, he doesn't believe you. You get in a fight with him because he won't believe you that your mother was so terrible because you're such a high-functioning adult. So then you go off right. on this whole tangent about how you're actually not high-functioning at all. <laughs> I couldn't make the connection either between high-functioning and it means that— so. He insisted that I had had a good experience with my mother. And this has happened with other people where they say, well, you must have had one good experience, and there is not one. So then they insist that I have, and then my blood starts boiling. I have a physical reaction to it. It's like my nose starts running, and fire shoots out of my eyes. And then they, he said, you can't be such a high-functioning person if you didn't have a good relationship with your mother, which makes me immediately go to, A, I'm not a high-functioning person, but also 
shit, I have to have a high-functioning relationship with my daughter so that she's high-functioning, otherwise she'll live with us forever. (laughs) So then it's like so much pressure on that. But yes, but my own mother and I are estranged, and and we did not have— we didn't have a good relationship. Was it hard to write about that? I mean, there's a lot of really painful stuff in there. It was It was interesting because when I wrote that stuff, and I'm cursed with a very good memory of very past things and not any short-term memory. All of my memories used on, like, horrible things that I feel people have done to me. But it was, it was cathartic, but then I re- felt like I came home in, like, a bad mood or I would it would definitely shape my mood. And when I was doing the audiobook. When I was reading those chapters about her, I started having like physical reactions. Like again, like my nose would start running, like I'm like I was possessed or something. Like just it was I couldn't breathe. So, you know, I blocked her from Facebook finally because I feel like she kept liking the book on it, and I was like, she's not going to like the book. Oh no, I don't want her to read the book. So, anyway, oh my gosh, your parents also, and I won't go into the ways in which your mom. Your, the difficulties in your relationship because you outline them so well and it's like your story to tell. But you have both of your parents, I feel like, were really after you about your weight. Yes. And you poke so much fun at that and talk about your experience at fat camp, Camp yeah, Shane, yeah, yeah. and yes. all the rest of it and trying to fit into this dress at a bar mitzvah shop, <laughs> which was so, I mean, it was funny, but I'm for any, and hiding your food outside in a paper bag and like having this crazy relationship with your grown up neighbor where you're having like this reciprocal candy sharing arrangement, which was hilarious. Um, but I was just wondering so, all this attention growing up on how you looked, and you make jokes like, oh, and then, you know, my failed bulimia and this anorexia, you know, yeah. blah, 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 ha, ha, ha. How did you like deal with all of that as a grown up? And how are you trying to deal with your kids now to like make sure oh, that it's doesn't so happen? hard. It's so hard. First of all, I have my own, like, dysmorphia for sure and my own. I see a dietitian now and so much, such a, like, kind of poor relationship with food, but I'm, I think I have it under control. But it is definitely, like, I definitely define myself by how, you know, my weight and stuff like that. But the one thing I will say that I give myself credit for is my daughter. My daughter is kind of an experiment in having a relationship with a daughter that I didn't have with a mother. So... She has zero awareness of her weight, zero body shame for any reason. She has so much confidence. My friend Dale, her dad used to tell her every morning that she was beautiful. And she's not like someone that you would like be like, oh, she's beautiful. But she had so much confidence. Like her eyes didn't even close all the way when she slept. (laughs) She had such big eyeballs that it would always look like she was like a little awake, like the whites of her eyes in sleepaway camp. But she had so much confidence because every day when she left the house, her father would say, you're beautiful. He didn't say inside and out, and I think that's why she was a bitch. But so I say to Phoebe, you're so beautiful inside and out. And she really has so much confidence. The problem is with my son and her a little bit is that, so I make immediately made everything available to them, like candy, everything, because I don't want it to be an issue. I don't want them to have to like sneak or anything like I had to do. But it backfired a little bit in the way that my son is gluttonous at times, and he wakes up in the middle of the night and eats ice cream and stuff. And I find myself having to do what my parents did, like get rid of stuff. We had to put like a lock on our fridge because it was bad. Like we got rid of all the stuff. I find myself repeating those patterns and trying desperately not to go to those places that my parents went. I get it now a little bit because I'm like, why do you treat yourself like a garbage pail? But... It's definitely, that is challenging. It's challenging with kids. because I. But then I also know that for me, 
it got to a point where I was like, I had to want to do it myself or not do it. So Yeah, I feel like so much of parenting is in reaction to the way you liked oh, or didn't like the yes, way that you were parented. Yes. And then like, I find myself doing the same the same things and I pull myself back. I had a moment like that where so my mother used to like hide all the chocolate chip cookies from me, which is right. probably smart given how much I love chocolate chip cookies and how many of them I eat now. But she would like hide them on this high shelf and then bring them down like on a platter for my brother when he got home from school. Oh and my he could, god. He could eat like a box a day and I was like not supposed to eat that. I was measuring out like a quarter cup of orange juice with my like Oh my you God. Know, Whatever. Anyway, so I made the decision, like, you know what? I'm going to let my kids eat whatever they want. Like, I'm right. not putting things on high shelves. Like, right. really? You want ice cream after camp and you had an ice cream sandwich five minutes ago? Go for it. Amazing. Right. Yes. You know? But like you, I'm like, well, I don't know. They have had like 57 treats today. And I found myself the other day with this bag of chocolate chip cookies. And I could like see myself like in a movie, like putting them up on this high shelf and being like, oh my gosh, I'm doing that. I'm doing what yes. she did. And then I was like, but do I leave them up here? Like, like, yes. <laughs> am I hiding thing. them from me? Am I hiding them from the kids? And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't even know. And I like raced out of the kitchen. <laughs> I'm also worried. I do that. And I'm worried about shaming them. Mm-hmm. My son had eaten like a bunch of like, ice cream cakes out of the garage fridge, so I had to throw them out. And then I threw them out, but I threw them out without putting them in a bag, and they were just going to melt. Right. And then my husband was like, did you just throw them in there? And it's like summer. And I go, well, Jesse, you'll wake up and eat them in the middle of the night. I go, when you go to eat, eat in the middle of the night, just go to the garbage outside. But I'm like, is that mean? <laughs> so I have to like, the other day I was in bed with him, and he doesn't like to exercise. He's like a very old man. And he worries about chafing, and he's 12. He just turned 12. And I said, did you buy any snacks at camp today? And he said, well, I was hot, so I had a drumstick, you know, the ice cream. Mm -hmm. And he goes, and then I had some Cheeto puffs and silence, and then thought he was done. I had an Oreo bag, (laughs) and then I had a hot dog. And then I just was like, did that cool you off? (laughs) Because I'm always like, if you tell us the truth, we can't be mad. But what is interesting to me is that we don't ask that. We don't, they have no reason to hide anything. And yet my housekeeper found a drawer of empties in our bathroom like a while ago. And I just said, I had to hide food. You don't. So just eat it in front of me. And then when he does, I'm just white knuckling everything. But there was one thing that happened that has to do with reading. I'll just tell you quick. Yeah, no, tell Um, me. One night, it was like three o'clock in the morning, and I noticed that like the bed went up. I felt around. What, what do you mean the bed went son, up? Do you have like a thing that my, goes in? No, my son's side of the bed oh, oh, oh. was up. My son gets into bed with me every night. Usually we're working on that, sleep training him at 12. So I noticed that he's not in bed. So I go downstairs to the kitchen and he slams the garbage and he has chocolate on his face. And I'm like, what are you doing? And he goes, nothing. I just, I just had a little bit of pudding. And then I go, just go back to bed. You need to get sleep. Go back to bed. Go upstairs. So I follow him upstairs, and I go, this is how we're like a married couple. I go, I just don't know why I send you to a trainer if you're going to eat like that, if you're going to treat yourself like a garbage pail. And he goes, ah, I, he goes I, I, just, I, I just, I got hungry, and it was, it was just, just one, or one pudding. And I go, no talking, just go to bed, go to bed. And then we get into bed, and it's dark, and I, go, I flip the light on, and I take a book out, and I go, well, I can't sleep, I have to read now. And I'm lying on my side. I go, but no talking, no talking. And he goes, what you're reading? And I go, none of your business. Go to bed. No talking. And he goes, is that a chapter book? And I go, yes, it's a chapter book. No talking. Go to bed. And then he goes, I don't see you read a lot. (laughs) And I go, I don't read a lot. 
because I don't I have been reading the same book for six years. <laughs> I go, I have not had the chance to read a book because I'm chasing you downstairs, like finding you. I haven't had a minute because of you. And he goes, Well, what is it about? I go, I don't know what it's about. <laughs> I have no idea what it's about. Go to bed, no more talking. And then I flip the light. I I he's quiet. I go, no more talking. Go to sleep. You need to get sleep. And then he and then I said, and you know what? It would be nice if I could read a book once in a while. And then he goes, I'm sorry, you could, no, no more talking. So then I shut the light off and I go, have you even practiced the drums? And he goes, no. And I go, why are we sending you to drum lessons if you don't play the drums, if you don't practice? And he starts to talk and I go, no talking, go to bed. (laughs) And so then he's quiet. And I said, did you let the dogs out when you were downstairs? And he goes, no. And I go, why, why couldn't you just let the dog, I go, you know what? Don't even talk. And he goes, well, I didn't have to. Crash made a poop on the, on the floor. And I go, did you pick it up? And he goes, yes. And I go, did you throw it in the toilet or the garbage or the outside garbage? And he goes, I threw it in the kitchen garbage. So I flip the light back on. I go downstairs. I take the garbage out. I'm storming around. I got attacked by a moth. I come back up, storm into the bedroom, shut the light off, and then I just go, no talking. And I get into bed, and then I just go, love you, schnooks. And he goes, love you, mama. And then we went to bed. So it's like this married couple, like, you just don't stick to things. I haven't read a book in six years. I see so clearly why you write for TV because I feel like I now I just watched a show. <laughs> like I could see all that happening in my head. Thank you very much. Now it I, is like, like a yeah, it is like, like a sick. But like a, he's a character in everything I write. I feel like I rob from our lives so much. But and your husband too. My husband, poor Todd. poor Todd. I know. And poor I thought Todd. you did some sort of you won some awards. Yes. For, what was that? So I had written when we first got married. We went for life insurance because I was worried that one of us was going to drop dead and our dog wouldn't have insurance. So I was actually pregnant, I think, when we got life insurance. And at the time, he wasn't working. And the insurance guy said that, like, he showed Todd what he would get if I were to die. And then he showed me what I would get if he were to die. And it was just a blank piece of paper. He just wanted me to have a piece of paper. (laughs) And I freaked out because I was like, I was like, can I take anything out on him? Like, even if I want to go shopping? And he's like, mm, where, do you, where are you going to go shopping? And I'm like, I don't know, like Bloomingdale's? And he's like, hmm, could you go to like a Nordstrom off-rack? Like, I was like, what? So he was not, I'm like, so he's not worth anything dead? So I panicked because I was going to be supporting us even when I'm dead. And I wanted to relax. And then it turned into, I wrote a whole pilot about it, about how he's there for me emotionally, which is so much more important, and how I consider myself low maintenance because I supported us, but really I'm so high maintenance. And so he wants to direct. So I had sold the pilot to NBC many years ago, and it wound up not getting made. So I was like, why don't I produce it? Why don't we produce it and you direct it? And we made it, and the actors did it for free, and they all got work out of it. And it won, like, the New York Comedy Festival and the L.A. Comedy Festival. So that was exciting. That's awesome. Yeah, so, yeah. I love your chapter with the Tiffany Love bracelet. That was Isn't so funny, bad? too. Does no, that make me whole, look bad? No, it didn't. The whole thing. It was, like, one thing after another of, like, hilarious. Because you say all the stuff that everybody is thinking and feeling. Maybe not everybody, but <laughs> maybe not everything. But Neither of us come off uh, smelling like a rose in that. But no one in life is perfect. Like, that's what's so great. Like, 
I love when you you like had this one section where you outlined like all the reasons why you lied and stealed and like do you remember, do you know what I'm talking about? What yes, was, wait. I'm, I'm trying to remember what it was in, in the context of, but it was sort of how you're like not a perfect mother at all. Oh, was it the um, one when I sent that text? Maybe, or maybe I sent a horrible text to my friend our first night on vacation, and then I had to oh, tell yeah. my husband that was all awesome. the things I lied about. Yes, because I thought she was going to tell him anyway. Yes, and you were oh like, my "God, <laughs> that was awesome." I mean, everything like that was thing. terrible. Everyone's done that though. Everyone's uh-huh. felt the hot rush of blood draining from their entire body when yep. they've sent a text to the yeah, wrong it's person. It's the worst. It is the worst. The worst. So with all the stuff that happens in your life, and then now it's all become just this hilarious material. And you do have a scene yep. in the book where you realize you're funny when you're like regaling your stock photography office with your stories right. of this Club Med disaster vacation. Right. When you're going through like day-to-day life, are things in your head, are you finding them funny even when they're really not funny at the time? Or do you have to step back and later you find them funny? I find them funny almost immediately because it's the only way I can process them. Like even my parents' reaction to the book, my mom, my stepmom and my dad has not been stellar immediately. I'm like, this is an essay. This is my next thing. But wouldn't it be funny if, if, if I tried to kill myself in an electric car because my book was coming out, but then I had to live? And then, you know, like just the whole, like everything is, that's just my defense mechanism is to try and think of how it's funny because it's so not. But yes, Love that. But yeah, but I do in the dated. Yes, everything. And are you going to work on another book after this? Like, is I want there- to. If I get to, if I'm allowed, if it does well enough, desperately, yes. I might make this one more fiction. The next one? But yeah, and I'm kind of working on stuff, but I, I either way, I just want to do this again. It was the best writing experience I've ever had. Better than TV? Yes. Really? Because I got to be more, the whole process is much more, like you don't have networks, like you don't have... All these people, you know, people don't have to be likable. You know, your characters don't have to be likable. You can be unlikable, you know, stuff like that. I probably will make this into a show at some point. So that's actually part of the reason I wrote it. Because when I would pitch this show, this book as a show, the studio people would say, everyone's so unlikable. We don't know that they're likable. But then in the book, I was able to show that they're likable, and now people want to make it. Oh, good. So, yeah. They're like, we know you turned out okay, but I don't know if the if we're going to find an audience that knows, you know, so, but now they know. Would you be in it? No. Okay. No. <laughs> okay, sorry. I'm too old. But I would, you know, maybe as like a future. Oh, stop. You're not. <laughs> but do you have any advice to people starting out who want to do something like you did? With writing? With writing? Here's what my advice is that I learned from this writing coach, and it's been the most helpful for me, and I do it now, is that if you give yourself a sentence, a writing prompt, like, my story is about this, and then set a timer for 20 minutes and just meander and just write without any editing, no rethinking, no going back, no judgment. You will find something like a kernel of something that you can use, and you'll be amazed by what you find up, going up, what you come up with. Interesting. Yeah. Any, any sense? I still do that. Anything. Like, I think one of mine was, I'm afraid of. Hmm. And then I get into this whole thing of, like, I don't know how I wind up in a whole other, like, But I do have to say, so I have all these writing prompts that I did recently that all wind up having the same theme to try and figure out what I want the next book to be. So they all wind up coming back to the same thing. And either that's laziness or that there's a a reason. What's the thing? The thing is that I want to write about escaping and freedom. Like I have a lot of friends who are at that stage where their kids are 
grown up enough that they don't need them as much and they gave up careers for them. Mm-hmm. And their kids are like a-holes kind of and not like thankful at all. And now they look down and they're wearing like the same sweatpants they were wearing when they had them. And they start to take their lives back. And that's what every single one of my things comes to. Interesting. It's about people taking their lives back. So cool. So like a rebirth. Yeah. I love that. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing you. your experiences. So and I'm telling you, this is literally my favorite. I mean, it was so, so nice. funny. And I just I just feel like it is such a gift when authors are this funny and relatable, even though your lives are not the same. Do you know what I mean? Like just right. finding that kernel thank you. between reader and author, I think it's like, it's just the greatest experience. And you just feel so like not alone in any of the stuff, even like the inner stuff in your head that you're kind of ashamed of. Right. So I'm, I say everything I'm ashamed of. I'm not even, but yeah. But everybody yeah. shares some of that. So. Right. Anyway. I like that. That makes me feel better too, actually. Yeah. So. Thank it you. Works both ways. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thanks again to my sponsor, Libro FM Audiobooks. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. You can follow me on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and at Zibby Owens and my new podcast at Kids Do Have Time to Read. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You can always email me at Zibby at ZibbyOwens.com. 